Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Isn't that video awesome? It's pretty cool. That, that rack of medieval weapons at the end there is especially really crazy cool. I was joking around with, the, with our creative team the other, uh, a couple days ago. I said, you know, I think I really would like to buy that rack of weapons in about 12 years. And they said, why would you want to buy it in 12 years? And I said, well, that'll be right around the time my daughter starts dating. And the way I look at it, you know, whenever that poor, unsuspecting boy walks up to my front porch, I can just put that rack of medieval weapons right out there on the front porch to greet him. That'll put the fear of God in that kid. (laughs) My goal is to make sure he brings her home two hours early every night. Um, I'm not actually going to do that. I'm just thinking about it, all right? I'm just thinking about it. Um, But um, so that that doesn't have anything to do with anything. We're starting this fantastic series this week. I'm so excited that I get to kick it off today. Uh, It's called Worlds of Warfare 3, The Weapons. And um, I I think we need to find a starting place here. So I'm going to start with something really fundamental. And I want to ask the question, what makes a weapon a weapon? Because I think it's always good to start with a definition of terms, right? So let's define terms. What makes a weapon a weapon? And as I was working on this message, I came up with what I believe to be a very simple definition of what a weapon is. I think, I think this is what a weapon is. A weapon is something you need when you go into battle. A weapon is something you need when you go into battle. And here's what I know. If you love God, if you believe in him, if you follow him every single day of your life, you are going into battle. You know, if you're, if you're trying to raise your kids in this culture where all the wrong influences are coming at them 24-7, you are going into battle, all right? If you're trying to keep your marriage strong and healthy every single day when you wake up, you are going into battle. If you're single and you're looking for somebody to spend the rest of your life with and you're trying to be the person that the person you're looking for is looking for every single day, you are going into battle. And here's a big one. Here's a big one. If you've experienced heartache and you've been through some really difficult things and you're trying to keep your faith, even when life doesn't make sense, I tell you, every single day of your life, you are going into battle. And here's the thing. The battle that we face is a unique battle because it's, it, this is a spiritual conflict. This is not a physical conflict. So if you're going to win this, you're, you're go, you, physical weapons are going to be of no use to you. You need spiritual weapons. And I'm going to take that a step further. Not only do you need spiritual weapons, you need the right spiritual weapons. Um, I got a question for everybody in this room who is serving in the military or has served in the military, which, by the way, if you served in our military, we honor your sacrifice and we thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. But for any of you in this room who are currently serving or have served, isn't it true that, isn't it true that in every armed conflict, you need the right weapon for the right battle, right? Uh, like, for instance, uh, it would be ridiculous for me to walk into Afghanistan right now armed with a Swiss Army knife and some pepper spray I bought at Walmart, right? 
because that would be, I could technically say that I have weapons, but they're not the right weapons for the right battle. And here's something that I think we need to grapple with. I think sometimes you and I as Christians, when we're fighting spiritual warfare, sometimes we get really tired and worn out from fighting the right battles, but with the wrong weapons. Isn't that true? Sometimes we get really tired and worn out from fighting the right battles, but with the wrong weapons. Like for instance, I, my, my biggest struggle personally is anger. I have a short fuse and, and God has been working on me uh, for, with that issue over the years. And here's what I've discovered. A lot of times I try to use my anger to achieve the right outcome, but here's the thing, I'm never going to get the right outcome because I'm using the wrong weapon because anger is not the right weapon to use. And so many times the enemy will try to put his weapons in your hands. You know, this is what I've discovered. If, here, here's the thing. I'm going to be really honest. If we want to start racking up some W's today, if we want to start racking up some wins, we need to fight spiritual warfare the way our commander-in-chief taught us to fight spiritual warfare. And we got to use the weapons that he uses, not the weapons that our enemy uses. Because here's the thing. The devil will always win if he can put his weapons in your hand. When you look at social media and you look at all the animosity that the family, we're, we're Christians and yet we see so much animosity even in the family of God. People calling each other names, saying the worst kinds of stuff about each other. And we're Christians, you know, when people look at us and they say, what's going on? I know what's going on. We're using our enemy's weapons when we should be using our father's weapons. You know, I don't know about you. I want to be armed with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what I want to be armed with. I, I don't want to be armed with hatred, pessimism, anger, impatience, unkindness, foolishness, unfaithfulness, harshness, and self-indulgence. I don't want to be armed with those weapons. Here's the thing. If you only get one thing I say in this talk, please get this. Whenever you fight your battles, don't fight your battles with your enemy's weapons. Fight your battles with your father's weapons because your father's weapons don't fail. Your father's weapons don't break. Your father's weapons don't let you down even when the battle's getting really difficult. And sometimes, we're doing this series for two reasons. Because first of all, sometimes we fight our battles with the wrong weapons. And in this series, we're going to learn to fight our battles with the right ones. But there's a second reason why we're doing this series. And that is sometimes we don't use the weapons that God's given us because we don't know they're there. Sometimes we don't use the weapons that God's given us because we don't even know that they're available to us. And here's, here's my question. How crazy would it be? for us to give up, or how, how crazy would it be for God to give you something that you can use to win, but you never use it because you don't know you have it? How crazy would that be? Um, I remember a Super Bowl commercial from a long time ago, uh, which by the way, Super Bowl commercials used to be funny, right? There was a time, there was a time when Super Bowl commercials were hilarious. There's still a few out there that are really funny, but I'm saying there was a time when just about all of them were hilarious, all right? And uh, in 2003, uh, I was nine years old, but I saw this commercial that I still consider to be the king of all Super Bowl commercials. And um, the commercial made fun of the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. You guys remember that movie? And um, in the commercial, this, this FedEx employee, he walks up to this lady's house to deliver a package. And just like the movie, he's got this, you know, thick beard and his hair's like down to his knees. 
and he walks up and he tells the lady the story of why he's delivering the package. He says, I was in a FedEx plane that went down over a deserted island and uh, I was the only survivor. And when I woke up, I started digging through the wreckage and I found this package that was still intact. And so what kept me going for years and years was that I could deliver this package to the address on the box. And so he was stranded for 10 years on this deserted island. And for, for 10 years, he never opened the package. He left it pristine because his, 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 his goal in life was to do, finally deliver the package to the address. And after 10 years of languishing on this island, having to fight for everything, he finally gets a chance to deliver it to her. And so he walks up to her house and she's really appreciative. She's like, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for your package. And at, but as he walks away, he asks her the question. He says, lady, I have to ask, what was in the package? All these years, I've, I've, le- I've left it be, but I have to know what was in the package. And the lady starts to open the package and she starts pulling stuff out. And she says, oh, nothing really. Nothing, it, just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, <laughs> some seeds, and a signal flare. <laughs> and the dude's jaw just drops, like, you know, like, Ah. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing, you know, I, this is the main thing that I don't want. I don't want to get to heaven and God do that to me and say, I gave you this and I gave you this and I gave you this and you could have used all these tools. I don't want to get to heaven and God show me all the things that I could have done. I don't want to get to heaven and him show me all the things that he put in my hand that I never used because I didn't know they were there. I don't know about you. I don't want to forfeit my destiny because I failed to use what God has put right in my hand. I don't want to forfeit my destiny because I failed to use what God has put right in front of my nose. And so we're doing this series to talk about the things that God has already provided for you that are right there for you. And I'm so excited about this. We're, in this series, we're going to talk about four major weapons that come from God that will never let you down. And here's what I love about these weapons. These weapons always lead to victory. And I don't know about you. I like victory. I know I'm a Cowboys fan, but I like victory. Um, I don't get to taste it very much in football, but um, <clears throat> thank you for your sympathy. Um, but I, I like to win. I like to win. And we're going to talk about four weapons that lead to winning. And um, I, I, I'm really excited about this series. And this week, this week, we're kicking it off with, with the greatest weapon of all. This week, we're going to talk about the Word of God and why the Word of God is a weapon. And that leads to the first question that I think all of us have, which is, how is the Word of God a weapon? How is it a weapon? And, I, and here's the thing. I actually had that question as a kid um, when, I went to, when I went to camp. Um, Here's what you know. Sometimes I'm sometimes I'm really I'm really surprised that God called me to ministry, because I'm I was just the most skeptical kid in the world, like about everything, especially things related to faith and God. And I, I think this is just therapy for me for a second. But I think that pastors' kids sometimes pastors' kids we get so soaked and saturated in church stuff every day and every week that sometimes we we start to forget the things that make all of it special. And we start to almost become numb to things that we shouldn't become numb to. And as a kid, I was the poster child for that. And I mean, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons why pastor's kids have such a wild track record. I don't know. I mean, think about it. Like uh, Daniel Tosh, pastor's kid, Katy Perry, pastor's kid, Jessica Simpson, pastor's kid, the Jonas Brothers, pastor's kids, uh, Alice Cooper, believe it or not, pastor's kid. 
I'm, we're all crazy is what I'm trying to say. Like, um, but, uh, you know, anyway, um, but, you know, I was this skeptical pastor's kid that was just like so used to church stuff. And I was at this camp. I don't think it was a camp through our church. I think it was a camp that I was invited to that was almost like a one day or two day, sort of a one day, two day type thing. Um, and there was a worship service at this camp. And have you ever just been in a worship service as a kid that's just like, you know, for a lot of the, for a lot of the kids, it's just life-changing. You know, like it's a serious worship service. People are really just getting in the zone. And that's what this worship service was like. And what's funny is when I was a kid at this worship service uh, at camp, uh, we didn't even have a band. We just had one guy. Uh, I called him 90s Christian guitar guy. 90s. And what's funny is the 90s were over at this point, but nobody told this guy. And... I mean, he was awesome. Every, everybody wanted to be 90s Christian guitar guy. A lot of people wonder, where did the hipster movement start? I think it started with 90s Christian guitar guy. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, none of this guy's clothes match. Like, I'm pretty sure he was the first person on earth to eat avocado toast. Um, and, like, you know, he had, like, 40 leather bracelets on each arm. He looked like he hadn't showered in a few days. And... Um, but he killed it at guitar. He was fantastic. And everybody loved 90s Christian guitar guy. But anyway... Uh, so he, you know, he was killing it and everybody was just getting into the zone. And then after he was done, the pastor, and I had never seen this guy before. He was a new speaker to me, but he got up and he gave this powerful message about how the Bible's the sword of the spirit. I mean, he grabbed his, you know, a preacher's getting real. He starts grabbing his Bible and lifting it up. He's like, this, this Bible, this is the sword of the spirit. This Bible can conquer anything. This is the sword of the spirit. And As a kid, I felt like all the kids around me were just like nodding and like getting into this and soaking it up. But my skeptical pastor's kid mind was like a sword, a sword. I mean, this, this Bible, this is a good book. This is a fantastic book. This is a book that I believe in, but a weapon? How? How, how is the Bible a weapon? How is it a sword? And I, I struggled with that as a kid to try to understand that. And here's the thing, the pastor, the pastor was quoting from scripture. It says in Ephesians 6 that the Bible is the sword of the spirit. But here's what I've discovered. As I get older and I see more of life, I've discovered that I couldn't have been more wrong. When you see a Bible, this, these aren't just words on pages. These aren't just words on pages. This is the most dangerous weapon on the planet. And here's the thing, this isn't a weapon that you use against people. This isn't a weapon that you use to hit people over the head with. There's some schools of Christianity that do that and they fail miserably because that's not what this Bible is for. You know, this, that, 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 that's, not, that's not the kind of weapon I'm talking about. If you wanna know why the Bible is a weapon, the Bible is a weapon because it is a threat to all evil everywhere. This book is a weapon because it is a threat to all evil everywhere. For instance, this book is a threat to corruption. This book is a threat to prejudice. This book is a threat to racism. This book is a threat to atheistic indoctrination. This book is a threat to human trafficking. This book is a threat to organized crime. This book is a threat to tyranny. And most importantly, this book is a threat to the devil, who's the one behind all the things I just listed. And you know when you were growing up and your mom or dad said, this isn't just a threat, it's a promise. You remember that? I heard that a few times. Well, guess what? This book isn't just a threat, it's a promise. This book is a promise. 
This book is a promise that all the, the, the darkness and all the evil and all the things that we worry about are someday not going to be here anymore. And I don't know the day or the hour when that promise will be fulfilled, but I know that it will be fulfilled. And I know that what this book says will come to pass. It will happen. This book is a threat to all evil and it's a promise. And today I wanna talk about three reasons why the Bible is the sword of the spirit. I wanna talk about three reasons why I believe the Bible is the sword of the spirit, just like it says in the book of Ephesians. Number one, here's the first reason. This weapon was forged in another world. This point lights me up. I can't stop preaching about this point because this God, the, the, when I started working on this message, the very first thing God hit me with was this weapon doesn't come from here. This weapon was forged in our world. One of the reasons why the Bible is so powerful is it does not come from the world that you and I occupy. I don't have to tell you this, but our world is messed up. Our world is messed up. It's broken. There's a million things that are wrong with our world. And here's the thing. Any ideas or philosophies or religions that come from this world are just as broken and messed up as the world that they come from. But here's the thing. Here's the good news. This book comes from somewhere radically different. This, this book comes from a place where the brokenness that we experience doesn't exist. This book comes from a place where people don't get sick and people don't die. This book comes from a place where there's no pain and no crying and no war and no violence and no hate. That's where this book comes from. And that's why it's so radically different. And here's the thing. Yes, I will grant you that the people who wrote the 66 books that are in this Bible, I will grant you they were living in this world when they wrote those books. But the words that they wrote did not come from here. They did not come from here. And maybe you'd say, Stephen, I think that's a stretch. I think you're kind of stretching it a little bit. I don't know if that's the case. Here's the thing. I could, I, we could talk about this all day long. We could have a series on this. We could spend an entire year just talking about this. But I just want to throw out some scriptures that I think are food for thought on this point about whether the Bible comes from here or it comes from somewhere else. I mean, think about this. In Isaiah 40, 22, it says this, God sits above the circle of the earth. You know what's funny is, this was written 300 years before the ancient Greeks discovered that the world was round, and it was written 2,200 years before Ferdinand Magellan confirmed that the world was round. Just food for thought. Here's another verse that I think is fantastic. In Job 26, 7, he spreads out, talking about God, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. This is actually a much bigger deal than even the last verse that I just showed you. And the reason for that is that this, this phrase, he suspends the earth over nothing, this was 3,500 years ahead of its time. 3,500 years ahead of its time because we didn't find out that the earth was suspended in empty space until the days of Copernicus in the 16th century AD. Think about that for a second. And maybe you'd say, Stephen, I don't believe that because I'm sure some people in the ancient world guessed it. Oh, really? Let me see if my memory serves correct. In ancient India, they thought that the world was carried on top of an elephant that was on top of a turtle. I'm not kidding. Like, serious. In ancient Egypt, they thought that the world was held up on spears. And in ancient Greece, they had the most creative one. They thought the world was held up by a giant man named Atlas, and he was holding the world out of punishment for the fact that he led a revolt against Zeus. So the idea that the earth is just suspended in space with nothing around it, held up by nothing, that idea in the ancient world would have been considered crazy. It would have been considered nuts. 
And yet we know today that the earth is suspended over nothing. In fact, if you, I was just reading some eyewitness accounts from uh, some of the first astronauts to actually go into space. If you read some of the eyewitness accounts from astronauts who were on Apollo 8 in 1968, they were some of the first people to really see the earth from a distance. And one of the, one of the astronauts said, it was so cool to see the Bible, uh, to see the earth hanging in the void. That was his words. It was like, it was crazy cool to see the, 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 the earth hanging in the void. Well, guess what? In Job, he's already talking about the earth hanging in the void. And this was far, far before we ever had anyone went into space and before we had discovered those things. I'm just saying, I'm not saying, but I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but here's to me the biggest one. Here's to me the biggest one. And that is this, when David, this is David writing, in a thousand BC, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Guess what? This was a thousand years before the crucifixion. And yet it's written as if someone is right there describing everything that's happening. And and just, just food for thought, this was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented. Crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. The Carthaginian Empire would invent it hundreds of years later. And yet David says, they pierced my hands and my feet. My bones are on display. They cast dyes for my clothing. You know who cast dyes for clothing? The Roman soldiers who were doing the crucifixion a thousand years later. This book doesn't come from this world. This book doesn't come from this world. There's power in it. And... Here's the thing, maybe you'd say, Stephen, that's nice, but I don't see how a self-respecting intellectual can believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Well, I guess there's a few intellectuals in history who didn't get that memo. Like, I don't know, Sir Isaac Newton, the guy who discovered physics, Blaise Pascal, Johann Kepler, I don't know if you've heard of him, Galileo, George Washington Carver. These guys were the giants of science. These guys gave us modern science, and yet not only did they believe in God, they dedicated their life's work to God. They dedicated their life's work to God. Here's the thing. I'm just saying, at some point we have to realize this book is special. At some point, we have to realize this book is special. And it wasn't just written down by people. This book comes from God. And as a nation, the best thing we can do, a lot of people say, the best thing our nation can do is if this party gets power, if this party gets power, if this works out, if this works out. The best thing we can do as a nation is to realize how special this book is and start following it. That's the best thing we can do. That's the best thing we can do. And you know, the reason why this book is special is that there's truth in it, that you can just feel when you open it and you read it. You know, to my knowledge, Albert Einstein was an agnostic, and I, I really enjoyed reading his biography this year. I think it's just an incredible story. But to my knowledge, Albert Einstein was an agnostic. But I think the greatest compliment that anybody ever paid the Bible actually came from Einstein. Uh, Einstein was being interviewed back in the 20s, and they asked him, they said, what do you think of the Gospels? What do you think of the Bible? And I love this. This is so powerful. This is what Einstein said. He said, no one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Isn't that beautiful? That's how Einstein felt about it. And I, here's the thing. This is, this is coming from somebody who was spiritually unresolved. And yet, 
I, here, you, know, you know why the Bible is so special to me? Because I agree with Einstein. When I open the Bible, I can feel the presence of Jesus. When I open the Bible, you know, one of the reasons why the Bible is so powerful is that when you open it and you read it and you let it penetrate into your heart for just a moment, just like Einstein said, you can feel the fact that you are sitting in the very presence of God and he is speaking to you and he is comforting you and he's telling you that it's going to be okay. Let me ask you, where else are you going to find that? Where else, where else can you find that? You know, I don't know about you, but I'm messed up in a way that the self-help section at Barnes & Noble can't help me, you know? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm messed up in a way where religion is of no use to me. I'm messed up in a way where no regular human being is going to fix my issues. But I don't know what your testimony is, but this is my testimony. When I open God's word, I start to see solutions for problems that I thought were unsolvable. I start to see answers for questions that I thought were unanswerable, and I start to see victory over issues that I thought were unbeatable. And I just want to ask you, where else are you going to find that? You know, G.K. Chesterton was a famous theologian. He said, when life becomes difficult, it's tempting to turn away from God, but in heaven's name, to what? That's good. Where else? Where else will you find that? You know, one thing I've noticed is that Christians in other countries where there's poverty and persecution, they tend to value the Bible a lot more than we do because for, in a lot of these countries, the Bible is all they have. But you know what? They're rich. Because if the Bible is all you have, you're rich. You're rich. And, you know, I, I thought this was so cool. There was, a missionary, there was a missionary to Haiti named Eleanor Turnbell. And while she was in Haiti, she started listening to the prayers of the Haitian Christians who were around her. And she started noticing how powerful and amazing these prayers were. And so she started translating them from French to English. And she started writing down translations because she was just so impacted by the prayers they were praying. And again, this is a country that is hit so hard by poverty. It's hit by earthquakes. It's hit by just about everything. And yet these Christians, the prayers they pray, just powerful. And she, one thing I thought was cool is she wrote down some translations of prayers that Haitian Christians pray about the word of God. And I just want to read them to you because these changed my life when I read these. Here, here's the first prayer she wrote down. Our great physician... Your word is like alcohol. How many times are you going to hear that in church, right? Um, our great physician, your word is like alcohol. When poured on an infected wound, it burns and stings, but only then can it kill germs. If it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any good. That's pretty good, right? That's awesome. That's fantastic. Here's another one. Father, we are all hungry baby birds this morning. Our heart mouths are gaping wide, waiting for you to fill us. I love this next one. Father, a cold wind seems to have chilled us. Wrap us in the blanket of your word and warm us up. That's good. And this is my favorite. Lord, we find your word like cabbage. That's the first time I've heard that. Lord, we find your word like cabbage. As we pull down the leaves, we get closer to the heart. And as we get closer to the heart, it is sweeter. Isn't that good? That's so good. And I just think, I just want to ask you the question. Do ordinary books have that kind of impact on people? across nations and cultures and languages and peoples? Do, do ordinary books have that kind of impact on people that they talk that way about it? No. This book is special. This book comes from God. This book comes from heaven. This book was forged. This weapon was forged in another world, a better world, a world that's so special that we get a small glimpse of it. We get a small window into it every time we open the Bible. 
And as I was working on this message, I was thinking about people I know who are skeptical. Because here's the thing, like I said, I, I'm, I'm the definition of a skeptic. All right, I have to get answers to everything 10 different ways, and even then sometimes I'm not satisfied. And sometimes I sit down with people that I love very much who they, they haven't accepted Jesus, and I talk to them about the Bible, and this is the answer that I almost always get. And the answer is, that there's a lot of good things in the Bible. There's a lot of things that are useful for life and, and useful for just different things in life. But because what the message I get is because there's certain things in the Bible that I don't understand and things that go against what my life experience has been, then I need to leave the, the Bible on the table because I don't understand it completely. That's usually the message I get. And you know what? I resonate with that message a little bit because there's a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are above my pay grade and there's a lot of things in the Bible that seem to be different from some of the things I've experienced in life. I mean, for instance, there's all the verses in the Bible about justice, but isn't it hard to look around and see bad things happen to good people? I mean, isn't it hard to look around and see, you know, the innocent people die while wicked people become rich and successful? Like, isn't it hard to look around and see people who, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I look around and I see certain people who I would leave my kids with get cancer, and I see people who are out of their ever-loving minds get power. I mean, it's hard to watch that. It's hard to watch that. And because of that problem, the problem of evil, a lot of people look at this book and say, I don't understand it completely, therefore it's not really for me. And I know these people because these are people I love. These are people I care about. These are, these are people that I think are, are fantastic people. But let me tell you why it's a terrible mistake to leave the Bible on the table for that reason. If this book, if this book really does come from another world, which I believe it does, and if this book really does, if this book really does come from a God who is light years ahead of us in every respect, then it makes perfect sense that there are many, many things in this Bible that we will never fully understand right now. It makes perfect sense that there's gonna be a lot of things in this book that we're never fully going to comprehend until we see God face to face. And until that time, those are things that we accept on faith. And I know faith, like here's the thing, I understand faith comes hard for me. Faith, faith is not easy for me. But here's the thing, I'm, I understand if the God who wrote this, he's so far ahead of me, I understand there's gonna be things that are written in here that I'm not gonna understand, but someday I will. Someday I will. Like, let me illustrate this. Let's just say, because here's the thing, the Bible comes from another nation. The Bible comes from heaven. And so sometimes it's hard to understand it. Let me illustrate this. Let's just say that I got a book from Mongolia. I got a book from Mongolia. And I got an English translation of the book. And the book is about, let's just say it's about Mongolian culture, all right? What's gonna happen when I try to read that book? There's gonna be certain things that I'm gonna understand, but there's gonna be a lot of things that I have no clue what on earth it's talking about, all right? There's gonna be a lot of things where I'm just like, that doesn't make sense to me. There's gonna be cultural references that make no sense. There's gonna be humor in it that I'm not gonna find funny. And there's going to be all kinds of stories that I'm just like, I don't get it. Why do I not get it? I've never been to Mongolia. And so I don't understand it. And so, you know, that's the thing, but what were to happen, what would happen if I went down to Eisenhower Airport and I got on a plane and I flew all the way to Mongolia and I lived there for a year? What do you think is going to happen? 
All of a sudden, some of the things in that book I read that I thought were totally crazy and totally out of this world are going to start to make sense to me gradually over time. Things that I, the cultural references are going to start coming to life for me. Humor that I thought wasn't funny is going to become funny to me. And, and all kinds, a lot of the stories that I read in that book are going to make sense to me in light of the people that I will meet when I get there. And all the things that I thought were totally incomprehensible will become familiar and make perfect sense. The Bible is the same way. The Bible comes from another nation. The Bible comes from another place. And here's the thing. The Bible comes from a place where things are different than they are here. And so when I pick up this book, because I've never been to heaven, because I've never gotten to sit, and because I've never gotten to visit that place, there's going to be a lot of things in this book that make no sense to me. But guess what? Because I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, someday I will get to visit the nation that this book is from. And I will get to sit at, his, I will get to sit at the feet of the one who wrote this. And suddenly... Suddenly, all the things that made no sense are going to start making sense. Suddenly, all the things that I thought just didn't jive well with my life experience, suddenly those things that are, you know, you know how when you see something blurry and you put on glasses, they start to come into focus? All the things that were blurry and didn't make sense will start to come into focus and finally make sense. And here's the thing, when I get to sit at the feet of the one who wrote this book, I don't know if it's going to happen gradually or I don't know if it's going to happen all at once, but all the things that I thought were totally incomprehensible will become familiar and make perfect sense to me. And this is what I want to say. Don't reject God just because you don't understand him. Because here's the thing. You know, here's, here's what I know. On this side of heaven, we will never fully understand him. But someday we will. And all we can do right now is trust him. And guess what? That trust is never misplaced. If you put your faith in God, there's a lot of things that you might not understand, but God's always going to follow through on his promises. We might not understand him, but we can trust him. So I really got to move. Here's the second reason why the Bible is a sword of spirit, and that is that this weapon absolutely terrifies the enemy. I mean, this weapon strikes fear into the enemy. Here's, here's what I know. A weapon is useless if it doesn't make your enemy really, really, really scared. And the Bible fits that category. It, may, it terrifies the enemy. And, you know, here's the first reason why the Bible terrifies the enemy, and that is that the Bible reveals the enemy's plan. You know, uh, uh, it, you know for those of you who know your Civil War history, you know, the Battle of Antietam was the bloody, pretty much the bloodiest day of the Civil War, but the Union was able to get victory in the end because the Confederates accidentally dropped their battle plans on the ground and the Union soldiers found it. And so they knew what was coming at them. And so the Union was able to stop Lee's advance into Maryland, which in a way, I look at that as God's providence, that the Union was able to capture those plans in order to turn the tides. And here's the thing about the Bible. It's giving you the enemy's plan before he hits you. And so you know, you know, and, and, and I think that the enemy has a three-part plan because the Bible reveals this to us. You know, when Satan and Jesus talked to each other out in the wilderness, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and he was really weak from hunger and Satan went to visit him to try to tempt him. And Satan tried to do three things. The first thing Satan tried to do is he said, Jesus, turn those stones to bread. Now, what, that, what Satan's doing there is he's trying to hit Jesus where he feels weak. 
Because when you're, hung, when you're hungry and you haven't eaten for 40 days, Satan's going to try to hit you where you feel weak. And that's the first thing he's going to try with you. He's going to try to hit you in that spot in your life where you feel like you've got a soft spot. He's going to try to get you right there. But here's the thing. Jesus was ready because Jesus told the devil, he said, devil, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, I knew you were going to hit me where I'm weak because the word of God told me that. And I was ready for you today. I was ready for you. And here's the thing, every single day of my life, Satan's going to try to hit me in that weak spot. But I'm going to tell him, I'm going to say, it is written, devil. I, I, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. Here's the second thing that Satan tried to do. Satan tried to convince Jesus to jump off of a high place. And I actually find that extremely significant because, you know, Satan's going to try to do the same thing with you. Satan is all about self-harm. You know, jumping off of a high place, that's an act of self-harm. That's an act of self-destruction. And Satan always tried to get us to do the same thing. He wants us to hit the self-destruct button. And we can do it a million different ways. But here's the thing. Jesus was ready. Jesus said, not today. I'm not, I'm not jumping off of this high place. I'm not going to hurt myself just to, t- I'm not going to hurt myself just because you told me to. You know, and here's the thing, whatever you do, don't let Satan convince you to hit the self-destruct button on your life because you don't have to, you don't have to smoke that. You don't have to be at that party. You don't have to sleep with him slash her. You don't have to take that pill. You don't have to take that pill. You don't have to keep the circle of friends that you're with if you're with a bad circle of friends. You don't have to yell at your spouse. You don't have to yell at your kids. You don't have to leave your life partner because that lady at work gets you. You don't have to do any of that. You know why? Because God tells you, you don't have to hit the self-destruct button. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You know, because when Satan told Jesus, he said, jump off of this high place, Jesus was like, I'm not jumping. I'm not doing it. And it's a good thing that I'm not Jesus, because if I was there, I would have added something to it. I would have been like, you first. (laughs) And there's a good reason I wasn't there, all right? But that's the thing. We don't have to self-destruct. And then finally, Satan tried to get Jesus to worship him because that's what Satan always wants. He wants to be worshiped. That's the number one goal on his mind because Satan always tries to steal what belongs to God. That's why he tries to steal you because you belong to God. Satan hates that. He wants to take you away, but he's not going to be able to if you're covered by the blood. And so that's what I want you to know. And Jesus said this. He said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was ready. And here's the second reason why the Bible terrifies the enemy. And that is the Bible reveals the enemy's fate. The Bible reveals his end. In Revelation 20.10, it says this. I love this. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And man, am I looking forward to that. That's going to be great. That's going to be great. And that's how Satan's story ends. And there's, there's, here's the thing. There's one last reason why the Bible is the sword of the spirit. And that is this. This weapon, this weapon gives us hope. This weapon gives us hope because we need hope. We need hope. You know, we need it so much. And there, there, here's the reason why the Bible gives us hope. The Bible answers the two most important questions in your life. There's two questions in your life that are extremely important. And here's the first question that the Bible answers. The Bible answers the question, why am I here? You know, even as a kid, I remember asking the, the deep question of why, why do I exist? Why am I here? And I think that's a question everybody needs to know the answer to. You know, John Lennox is a professor of mathematics at Oxford, but he's also a fantastic Christian theologian. He's somebody who's a hero of mine. 
Um, and John was talking about this issue, about the Bible telling us why we're here. And he said something I thought was really powerful. And this is somebody who's well acquainted with science. And, and Professor Lennox, he said, science is really good at telling you what you're made of, but only God can tell you what you were made for. And that's good. You know, I mean, that, uh, you, science, science is fantastic. A lot of people wonder if like Christians and science are against each other. No, I think science proves the fact that God exists. I love science. Science is awesome. And, but, and science is really good at telling you what you're made of. It can tell you all about your body. It can tell you all about the molecules that make up your body, but it can't tell you what you were made for. And I love how John Lennox explained it because he explained it by telling a hypothetical story. Uh, Professor Lennox, he said, he said that, um, he said, I could invite a scientist over to my house and invite him to my kitchen and I could start boiling water. And he said, I could ask that scientist, why is the water boiling? And he said, the scientist is going to tell me, well, because heat is being conducted through the base of the kettle and agitating the molecules of water and the most energetic molecules are turning into a gas and evaporating into the atmosphere. And John Lennox, he said, I'm going to turn to, the, I'm going to, turn to that science and say, good job, but actually it's boiling because I want a cup of tea. <laughs> and Here's the thing. Those are two different types of explanation. One explanation is about the scientific reasons why some, what, what, what the science is about how something is made. But the second explanation is about purpose because only the person who started boiling the water can tell why the water is boiling. And the same is true with your life. If you walk into a bookstore, which I know a lot of people don't even walk into bookstores anymore because we have Kindle, all right? So... But if you were to walk into a bookstore, you're going to find hundreds and hundreds of books that can tell you about what you're made of, but you're only going to find one book that can tell you what you were made for, that can tell you why you're here. And maybe you're saying, Stephen, this hits home with me because I have a hard time with thinking about if my life has a purpose. I want to just encourage you today really quick with a couple, with a few verses. Think about this, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. And think about this, Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And in Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If you want to know why am I here, you're here because God wanted you to be here. You're here because he wanted you to be here. He dreamed you up. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Before you were born, he knew your name. You're here because God wants you to be here. And maybe you say, Stephen, I have a hard time valuing my life because I've been through so many difficult things and I've been through hard stuff. Guess what? God wants you to be here right now. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you. Here's the thing. The first question that the Bible answers is, why am I here? And before I tell you what the second question that the Bible answers is, I want to tell you a really, really, really quick story. You know how I love Einstein. Einstein's fantastic. He was also extremely absent-minded and didn't know where he was half the time. Um, but Einstein was on a train one time, and the conductor was walking down the aisle punching tickets. And the conductor got to Einstein, and he said, ticket, please. And Einstein started feeling around in his jacket, and he started feeling around in his pant pockets, and he couldn't find his ticket. And so Einstein got terrified. He just this look of terror just came on his face. And the conductor said, it's okay. Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. Everybody knows it. I'm sure you have a ticket. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. And so the conductor kept punching other people's tickets. He just kind of went past them. But right before the conductor left the train car to move on to the next one, he turned around and he saw Einstein on all fours looking around for his ticket. 
And the conductor started panicking. He went over to Einstein and he said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. You, you don't need a ticket. It's okay. We, we, got, we got you. It's okay. I know who you are. And Einstein looked him straight in the face and said, young man, I know who I am as well. I'm looking for my ticket because I can't remember where I'm going. <laughs> and that man discovered the theory of relativity. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the second question that the Bible answers that nobody else can answer. The second question is, where am I going? Where am I going? And what I mean by that is when you cross from this life to the next, where are you going? And the Bible's the only book that's going to tell you the answer to that. Because in the Bible, you read a story about when God visited us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he laid down his life on a cross. And here's, here's the thing. If it wasn't for Jesus, I know where I'd be going. I'd be going straight to hell. Because you have to be perfect to get into heaven. God, God requires perfection. I can't be perfect for five seconds, five minutes. I can't be per perfect at all. But because there, because there was a man named Jesus who was God in skin, and, and he came to our world, and he taught us how to live, and then he let people put a crown of thorns in his head, and he let Roman soldiers whip him with a cat of nine tails, and he carried that cross, and they, they stretched him out, and they pierced his hands and feet, and they pierced his hands and feet, and then he hung on that cross for hours so that he could pay for what you've done wrong and what I've done wrong. Because of him, I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with the God who made me. I'm going to be with him. And I just want to ask you, where are you going? And if you don't know, today's the day to get it settled. Today's the day to get it settled and say, I want Christ in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Maybe you say, Stephen, I've never been to church before and I'm starting to get it. Here's the thing. Here, here, here's what I want to communicate. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. If you want to accept him into your life, if you want him in your life, then let's settle it right now. Let's pray really quick. Everybody, every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray really quick. If you want to accept Jesus in your heart, today's the day. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Today's the day because here's the thing. The word of God is living and it's full of life and it's speaking to you today. If you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, it's because God is speaking to you through his word. God's not speaking to you through me. He's speaking to you through his word and he's saying, come home. Come home. I want you. I made you. Your mind, please come back to me. If you feel God tugging on your heart, don't leave today without making that decision. Don't leave today without making that choice. Let's pray. Let's settle this right now. Let's settle this right now. Let's pray together. You could pray this silently in your heart or you could pray it out loud either way, but let's pray right now. These aren't magic words. These are just words calling out to God saying, I want you in my heart. Let's, let's do this. Heavenly Father, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've messed up but I believe you love me. I believe you sent your son to die for me. And I believe that he arose from the grave. Please forgive me and come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we have a gift that we want to give you. It's got a Bible and it's got some other materials that we want to put in your hand. It's called For Your New Walk with God. If you want this, just text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000, and we'll get this sent to you. Also, uh, we have these at the Info Center this way out front, and we also have another Info Center this way that has it. Thank you guys so much. Uh, have a great rest of your weekend. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.